There is not a one-size-fits-all solution to leadership. Discover your inspiration to lead by hearing from those who are in the trenches each day, leading themselves and leading others. We will learn about their unique leadership style and identify the shared qualities between those who do it tremendously well. Welcome to the Lead with Empower podcast. All right, ladies and gentlemen, the Lead with Empower podcast is back and very excited for our guest for this episode. We are joined by Dr. Don Sawyer from Quinnipiac University. A lot of titles here. We have the VP of Equity, Inclusion, and Leadership Development, Associate Professor of Sociology, and also um, we worked together in the summer of 2021 as part of the Quinnipiac University First Year Immersion Program, which Dr. Don oversees. Don, how are you? Thanks for joining the Lead with Empower podcast. Really appreciate it. Um, thank you for having me. Um, you know, excited to be here. Looking forward to the discussion. Absolutely, and and we had a great great time. Although, it was, goodness, it was probably you know pushing a hundred degrees last year. <laughs> last year when we were together, but uh, great experience with your students. It was our first time working together as part of the QUFYI program, and. Um, you know, uh, on our end, great experience. And I hope it was the same for you and in, in, in that group of students from last year. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it was great. You know, it was our pilot uh, program. You know, people came, they enjoyed it, they connected. Um, your, your, your staff was great. Um, you know, just having, you know, meaningful conversations with, you know, these these students. And these were, you know, students who were, they were about to start their college journey. So, you know, fresh out of high school. Um, and so, you know, being with with your program really helped us to have a, a great kickstart for their college careers. That's great to hear. And we'll get into the program a little bit, um, a little bit further in the episode, because I think it's a, it, that idea of help, you know, helping that transition going from high school to the, the, the college or university setting is huge. And it's great that you're, you're, you're running a program like that for students so that they don't find themselves maybe so far behind the eight ball when they're in, you know, in New Haven on campus and, and try to figure out, oh my goodness, the step up in academics and the social dynamic. And we'll get into that a little bit, but first things first, the 2021, 2022 school year home stretch about a month left. Yeah. What's it been like on campus as far as, has it been a little bit closer to normalcy pre March, 2020 this year? Talk a little bit about the dynamic down there on campus. So I think, I don't I don't think we'll ever get back to what we knew as normal, right? Um and, and so I would say it was closer because, you know, there there were, you know, on ground classes, you know, there were very limited, you know, Zoom classes. Of course, there were Zoom options for different things. You know, people were on campus, although for parts of it, you know, there was a mask mandate. Yeah. Um, but people were around one another. And and so so that was good. But the interesting thing that we saw is that students and program attendance started to go down. Um, and so in one of the classes that I was teaching in the fall semester, you know, I talked with students and said, you know, what, 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 are, what are things that you're dealing with? What are things that you're thinking about? And so some of the students talked about, you know, coming back to campus, not knowing what to expect and just like feeling a lot of pressure, right? Yeah. Going from being away, going from being isolated and then coming back to campus, they wanted it but they didn't really have a great time, you know, for transition. And how, what do you, having your pulse, like kind of being on a college campus with, you know, a population of students really who for two years, you know, 
in pretty formative years of their lives, you know, things, things were, were abruptly changed. And, you know, you and I both have a little bit of a deeper life experience based on age. And it, you know, I think it was hard for a lot of adults to deal with all this change. And I think the unknown, you know, more, you know, more so than anything, how do you, you know, envision this, this COVID situation that's still evolving, impacting, you know, college students, you know, maybe in the immediate future. So maybe next year, you know, up, you know, up until graduation, but it, you know, more long-term future as well. Cause you've been on a college campus prior to 2020, obviously. Yeah. Um, and now you've been through this, this unique situation. How do you envision this thing shaking out for students? And what do you, what do you feel like maybe are some of these student needs that can help them kind of, you know, recover from, I think a lot of important missed time. I, mean, I, I think there's a lot of, of student needs um, and sometimes I think we forget that these students live through a pandemic. And so, you know, so I've been in higher education for now 23 years, right? And this is a time like I've never seen before. And so you have students who are currently on campus who had their high school experience shut down, right? You have some students who are on campus who saw what college was like before the pandemic, then they experienced the shutdown and then they came back, right? And so you have all of these different types of students, you know, from first year through senior year, who've had different experiences, and certain things were lost in, in, in that in that in that shutdown. And so for those of us who want to go back to what we think normal was, it's impossible because these students have been forever impacted yeah. by that shutdown. Um, and so, as an institution of higher education, or institutions of higher education, we have to make sure that we are catering to the needs of the specific students that we have on campus, right? They've all had uh, tragic experiences in, in a sense at different stages of their educational career, but now all of them are on campus. Yep. So it's not compared, it's not the apples to apples, like oh, no. this, this junior class should be like the junior class last year. It's really looking at it, you know, I, you know, get building the relationships, right? Which is, I'm assuming, that important foundational piece right so then you could truly understand what their needs are and, and then adjust accordingly mm -hmm. yeah um, but that i mean i think that's the piece is in, in a rush to get back to normal or if we rush to get back to normal we don't we, we're going to skip over the actual needs of the population that we're serving yeah if, if, if we if we try to do that and if we believe that let's say they lift all mask mandates and you know we're fine if we think that we're still not going to be dealing with the impact of COVID for years beyond this. I think we would be fooling ourselves. Yeah, agree, agree, a hundred percent. And I, you know, we're we're seeing that not just at the college, university, higher higher education level, but below as well um, with with students who are mask is off. But eh, and I don't know. I don't feel like I did a year ago or two years ago. Mm -hmm. um, Twenty three years in higher ed. Um, and we'll get into that journey a little bit, but I do want to spend a little bit of time talking about the first year immersion program. It's, it's start, it's foundation, give everybody a little bit of background into how that program came to fruition and, and what you, um, you and your team hope to accomplish as part of that program at Quinnipiac University. So, so part of the reason why, you know, we, we started the first year immersion, immersion program is because, we know we needed a bridge program, right? Bridge programs that, you know, we there's research done on bridge programs. A number of institutions across the country have them. And so 
the focus for this bridge program, because there are different types, the, fo the focus of this specific one was on first generation students and students of color, right? Because as a first generation student, coming into college, in, in a way you're starting off a little bit behind others who have had like family, fa you know, familial experience with going to college, right? Yeah. And so I was a first generation college student. When I went, I didn't know what was happening. Right. And I, and I went to a, a pretty decent high school. You know, my parents had never gone to college. And so I couldn't call home and ask them things about how to navigate. Yeah. Right. And me being a, a, a stubborn male and not wanting to, you know what I mean, ask for help. I was flying by the seat of my pants and it showed when I got my grades for my first um, semester. And so we don't want students to have that experience. And so through this first year immersion program, they had, they come to campus two weeks early. Yeah. They start to build the foundation. They get familiar with the campus before other students come back. You know, we have different workshops about, you know, demystifying the college process, study skills, you know, different things of that nature, team building, you know, getting them built up, you know, to know that they, they belong there, they deserve to be there, and we're going to give them the skills to hopefully help them be successful. Um, and, and so that's why we, we wanted to do, you know, this program. And so in, in last summer, the uh, I think it was August 2021 was your, your pilot group yep. over the course of this academic year and in your, um, you know, uh, communications with that first um, pilot group of students, how would you say they have, uh, and again, their journey is just getting started really at Quinnipiac, how would you say they've acclimated to that environment um, uh, so far this year? I mean, it's, it's, it's great. We, and I was just talking about this yesterday with one of my staff members is that Usually, if I see one of the first year immersion people, there's usually four additional members around <laughs> somewhere, right? And so they've been navigating as a pack, you know, keeping one another um, in check, making yep. sure that they're doing what they need to do. Um, you know, we've had, you know, periodic check-ins with them throughout the academic year, just getting some food and seeing if there are things that they, they need. Um, you know, out of the 21, I think two, found themselves on like academic probation. Okay. Um, and one of those students is not looking to return, okay. um, you know, for, for financial reasons. But, you know, for the most part, we have other students who are becoming resident advisors now. They've joined groups. They've gotten into leadership programs. And, you know, maybe they would have done this on their own without FYI. You know, we don't know. But I do think that the work that we did over the summer, only, only two weeks, right? Only two yep. weeks. You know to help them and, and and get them acclimated and to really build a strong foundation um i i think it was successful that's great to hear and just the fact that you know when you mentioned from your own personal experience going away and almost this sense of isolation like you know there's not really anybody at home i could touch base with and you know i have this you know this i think masculine you know we i'm not asking for help i'm gonna put my head down and try to get through it yeah just to see now um this this first year group of students or this first uh, group of students they're they are kind of having that pack mentality and there is that hey maybe i don't need to call home or try to do it on my own but i can talk to this person or that person who i'm not by myself i know they're probably going through maybe not the same exact set of challenges but something very similar so mm -hmm. you know just the fact that you're seeing that you know is is in my mind a, a pretty nice pretty nice win right there yeah i mean it's is is great uh i was i had to catch up on some email the other day and the weather was nice and so i was like well i'm gonna sit outside and you know catch up on email you know watching people and one of the students stopped by 
And he was just, like, he was excited. And I was like, what do you say? He's like, I'm excited. It's the end of the semester. You know, he's doing all of these things. He, like I said, he joined an organization. He's becoming an RA. He's going back to his home country over the summer to visit family. And like, he's just excited. And then, you know, I, the other day I'm walking out on the quad another nice day. I see some of the people from FYI, along with the other groups of students, you know, playing soccer, you know, on, on the quad. And it's like, wow, you know, just seeing them here be successful being retained to this point is like you know you know we, we, i mean of course we're going to continue this but it just to kind of see them doing well and thriving that that was important for me that's great that's great and one of the other elements of the the qufyi program that i enjoyed seeing and it was for a, you know a half day or whatever a short period of time out of that two week window but you had yourself your professional staff you had your student kind of mentors, and then you had the the program, and you know there there, it almost sets up this natural legacy of leadership where you know this group of students who were were participating you know prior to their first year at QU, you know they're getting involved in as RAs and other maybe organizations. But is is your hope that they would then join back in with the QUFYI program to? you know, leave their legacy on that, that group of incoming first year students at some point down the road. Yeah. Well, so we already have at least three people who have been asking us about being the FYI student mentors yep. for, for the summer, because we, we, we won't hire any more than three yep. to be like the residential assistants. And so they want to give back. And then, you know, the students who go through FYI, once they finished that program and we started the semester, then they went into a, one of the things I would quest mentoring program. And yep. so they had peer mentors there. And then those people who went through quest will have an opportunity to apply to be quest mentors for another group of students. And then those people who are quest mentors ha have an opportunity to go in to another level of, of leadership um, opportunities. And so it's, it's giving everyone at every stage the, the idea that they too have to give back, yep. right? That they have a responsibility, that someone is hoping to be in their shoes one day. And how can they help those people to miss some of the hurdles that they stumbled over? Yep. Um, yep. So, that, I mean, that's how we hope to do it. And it, it, it's huge too, because it, they're obviously, they're getting the academic piece uh, of being on a, at, at, at a, a college or university setting, but then they're really getting this true leadership field experience where they are, connecting with other people they're giving back to a community they are learning about you know maybe this isn't the right way to have this interaction maybe i could try it another way and they're you know so when they do walk away after four years or however many years they they spend on campus you know the the thought should be that they're truly prepared for the challenges they're going to face in in quote unquote the real world when they get yep. out and they're working and, and they have family and all that type of stuff yep so 23 years in higher ed we're we want to, I want to spend a little time. What, what led to that? You know, talk oh. about Don Sawyer as the up and comer, um, <laughs> you know, some of your, you know, life experiences and people that have maybe guided you and shaped you along your journey to, to, to where you're at today. Um, yeah. You know, as, as, as someone that's playing a pretty, pretty cr critical role in the lives of, of young adults right now. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, the 23 years have 
gone by quickly. And, and I was just thinking about it. I was like, wait, I said, wow, it's been, <laughs> you know, you know, 23 years of, of doing this work. And most people who work in higher ed never had the, the intention of doing it, right? You don't know anything about working in higher ed until you get an opportunity to go to college. And so originally, you know, I was in the in the in the in the medical field, I, I was a nursing major, and I was like, you know, maybe I'll be pre med, and then you know everybody started clapping at my graduation party, and so you know I'm trying to impress my parents, and you know focus on uh, the, the you know the, the being on the healthcare side, and so I was a nursing major all the way through maybe to my junior year, um, then I, I got my girlfriend pregnant, yeah. then we had a kid, and then I left school, went to the army. Was a, I was a medic and then got injured, came back, finished school. And I met, you know, someone on campus, um, Luis Inoa. He was a resident director there and he had, you know, planted the seed and was like, you know, you can do this, you know, full time, like working in higher ed. He's like, you know, you have something in you. I think you would be great. And I was like, eh, I don't know. <laughs> and so, you know, I had switched my major at that time to psychology. And then I was like, you know, maybe I will. Um, and so, you know, after graduating from undergrad, my first job was um, working in student activities and in residence life. And, you know, in 99, yeah, 19, wow, 1999. <laughs> and then from there, it just, you know, it, it just kept on going. I worked at Cuca College for a year and then I wanted, you know, something else. And then I went to Syracuse University. And so I spent, about 12 years at Syracuse University before I came to Quinnipiac. Um, but yeah, so again, like before that stage, right? I like first generation college student, grew up in Harlem, New York City. Um, you know, I was a child of the 70s uh, during the height of the crack cocaine epidemic. And so there was a lot of stuff going on. And, you know, I was around the age of eight where my parents intervened and like my, my mother, took me to a child psychologist and I mean, I didn't know what a child psychologist was at the time. This is later on in life, figuring out who they took me to. Yep. And so it was a child psychologist because she felt that something was wrong with me because I was acting out in school. And so, you know, I went through this process with them. They had me, you know, writing things that they would analyze, had me looking at ink block pictures and, and stuff like that. And, you know, long story short, at the end of it, it was like, there's nothing wrong with him. He's experiencing trauma and yep. doesn't necessarily have an avenue to discharge whatever tensions he's feeling in his body. And so they suggested that they sign me up for martial arts. And so I started, I started practicing Goju-Ru um, at that time um, at a dojo that was in, actually within the housing projects where I lived, um, my sensei, he grew up in that in the same area um, and opened up this karate class in the community center there. And that's where I went um, and learned meditation, learned how to discipline my body um, and learned how to channel the trauma and different things that I was experiencing in a more positive way. And so that intervention, I think, saved me. Yeah, I was just going to ask you, too, the, the fact that the, the your sensei was somebody who grew up in a very similar community and is now mm -hmm. in a spot where he's given back and, and, mm -hmm. you know, providing you with that opportunity. Does that, does that motivate you to do what you're doing currently today? I mean, cause you are sharing your experiences and giving back to you know, maybe people that aren't from, you know, Harlem or whatever, but mm -hmm. you know, someone that might be experiencing a challenge that was similar to something that you faced, you know, coming up. Yeah. I mean, I think, and, and I, I just, I actually was communicating with my sensei about two weeks ago. Um, you know, we, we're still connected. And 
I wrote a, a forward to a book that came out that, that was doing, they, they were interviewing hip hop activists. Okay. So I wrote the forward to that book and kind of talked about going to karate class and working with him. Now the hip hop connection with my sensei is that my sensei in the hip hop world is, is known as Disco Dave, right? Okay. And so Disco Dave is part of the legendary crash crew that started in the seventies in Harlem, right? They were one of the first rap groups that that ever was was formed this is before run dmc and all of them and so but again he stayed in the community and gave back our our i don't even remember what our monthly dues were you know if you had the money you paid your monthly dues if you didn't have it it didn't matter you know to get our gi and our uniform and everything you know some people had it some people didn't and you know they would assist and so it was never about the money they wanted to keep us out of trouble like there was a lot of stuff going on in, in harlem at that time and so with us being in, in, in class, you know, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and then tournaments, he gave back. And so when I wrote that forward, I was like, he was the first person that I would ever consider like a like a hip hop activist, right? Like yeah. he wanted to do something with whatever means he had to make sure that we were protected. And so like, I'm, I'm forever grateful to this man because as a result of you know me being steered in the right direction by him and even by some of my friends who were doing some other illegal things at times they never let me do it and so i got protected and so me giving back that, that that's my responsibility right that if, if if i i'm here because people have poured into me and have given me second chances and so it's only right that i do that for other people who would seek to to learn something from me uh, it's great. It's great. And it, it's, it's show it's showing. Um, and again, just our short period of time, you know, working together last year and through our communication in, in advance of that experience, um, the, the passion to do, to have that impact on other people mm -hmm. is, is very evident and it's showing right now as well as you, as you speak about it. Um, talk a little bit about yourself as a high school student, like obviously involved in martial arts, mm -hmm. what, like looking back on it now, what, what, what sort of, you know, advice or wisdom would you give yourself, um, you know, ha you know, having the opportunity to kind of look at it through that lens and, and say, Hey, everything's going to be all right. You don't, you don't need to, you know, you don't need to, you know, go through it, you know, solo. Um, yeah. That was the thing. Like I, it was learning how to navigate that space. And so I, I think that as a man um, and as men, I mean, like we, we can't generalize, but I, I don't think that we are, socialize to be our full selves because we don't we're not allowed to feel certain things right we're not allowed to have certain emotions like we're not allowed to cry like you can laugh maybe you can be upset but there's certain you don't talk about your feelings and i think that living in an urban space i had to put up a wall yeah. right i had to put up a, a, a psychic armor to protect myself in this environment now when you put up that wall in that space because you want to feel safe you're not taught how to take it down in other places, right? And so that wall remains and you don't make those connections. And so if I would tell myself, my, my high school self or younger self would be, it's okay to be you. It's mm -hmm. okay to feel what you feel. You're not less than a, less of a man if you cry and have emotions and are connected with those emotions. Um, and, and I think that's what I would, I would tell myself. But, you know, growing up there, we're, na we're navigating New York City at, like an unbelievable time like with the war and drugs and everything that's happening. And so it's like you, you, you have to do certain things in order to survive. Being vulnerable was not something that you, we felt that, or I felt that was going to be 
beneficial. Now, the great thing was that I did martial arts. And so people would come down to see our tournaments. They would come and see us breaking wood and using weapons and all of that stuff. So I never really had to fight yep. because, you know, <laughs> you know, people saw that. But it, I, I would tell myself that it's OK, because I think that going through life with the wall and not dealing with emotions, I don't I don't think that I was ever my full self at that point. Yeah. And as you mentioned too, that 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 idea of, of being vulnerable is not in the survival kit, uh, no. <laughs> or at least it doesn't feel like it is. Uh, it's not necessarily a viable option. Were you involved in any other like outside of academic activity as a high school student besides martial arts? Yeah, I mean, I I played basketball. I mean, I didn't play basketball for the school, but I, I played like in community tournaments and yep. different things like that. I did you know community service and stuff. Like when when I was younger like even before high school, my mother, you know, she didn't, she didn't go to college. My father didn't go to college, but she would make me read. Um, I would go to the Schomburg center. It's a, a Schomburg center for research okay. culture. It's, it's, it's a world famous library in Harlem. And she would make me go and do research on, you know, like famous black men. Um, and, and so when I interviewed my mother about a year or so ago, and she talking about like how she parented me because I thought she was strict. Her and my father thought they were strict, but she was like, they were afraid. Like I was their firstborn. Like my mother was, I think my mother was 18 when I was born. Okay. They're trying to figure it out. They saw what was happening around us and they didn't want that for me. Mm-hmm. And so did they overcorrect a little bit? I would say so. <laughs> but for them, again, like they're in the state of survival. Like they're not, they, their idea was like, we're not letting the streets, the police, Get, we're not letting the streets get our son. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, later on, you know, my brother came. But yeah, so, you know, I had to do read. I had to do book reports and stuff, but not book reports for school, book reports for my mother. Yeah. Um, you know, research projects for my mother. And I didn't like it at the time, but clearly, <laughs> you know, it has, it has benefited me. And, and I understand her now, you know, that I'm a parent, you yep. know? Yep. Yeah. Had, were, were you ever able to to express that back to mom at some point, like, ah, I didn't get it then. I, I get it. I get oh, it. Oh, yeah. We, we, were, we, were always, um, we will always talk about it. Like, because I would tell my kids, you know, they, they love the grandparents, but I was like, yeah, that's not, the, these are not the same people. I grew up with. <laughs> they're, they're, they're pretty lenient now, but we were, we will always joke about it. Um, and, and I got a chance to interview, you know, my mom uh, for, for this podcast I was working on. Uh, I would talk with her and, and my, my, my dad about it. And um, even uh, that was one of the other things that I benefited from. Like I, I had both of my parents in the household. M- many of the friends that I grew up with didn't have both parents yeah. in the household. None of my parents got addicted to drugs. That wasn't the case for a lot of my friends. And those things were very, um, they, they, they impacted our life's trajectories. Um, and so I was grateful for that. You know, I, I always try to honor my father's name. I'm named after my father. You know, I lost my father in December of 2020 to COVID, but he, I, he, he was always a person of service, yeah. even though he didn't have a lot. Like he didn't, he didn't, he never made a lot of money. You know, he he kept a job. You know, working for the city. But anybody that you spoke to who knew my father would say he will give you the shirt off his back and then go out and try and find additional shirts for you. Like that's, that's who he was. And, and I saw that, like, I saw him working. I know we didn't have everything, but he stayed, you know, he was, like I said, he was strict and he, 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 he loved us. 
right? Yeah. And yeah. and the way that he, he tried to show love in the best way that he could, but the way that I saw it was in the way that he cared for other people. Yeah. 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 Um, you you mentioned like your parents' strictness, and it was you know be, being a, a black male at that time when you were coming up, and what was out there that could be that could go wrong, and it, you know horribly wrong, right? Yeah. Um, I, I can't speak to that as a white male, um, but I, you know, I, obviously, you know, hearing your story, it, you, you recognize that, wow, you know, fortunate, how fortunate, and then how unfortunate it is that someone else has to, str- you know, has these other variables of challenge mm-hmm. that just, just because, not, mm-hmm. not because they're a bad person, and, you know, and that, that stuff is still happening, you know, it's, it's in your, it's, you know, palpable it slap you in the face happening especially mm-hmm. with social media and video um as someone who came out of a very challenging time and in a very challenging environment where there was a lot of outside uh, uh or potential for outside you know challenges knowing that that's still around how you know what how do you mentor like a a, a college a black male that's in college right now to help them prepare you know maybe it's not writing essays about you know, famous black men as a, as a 10 year old um, that, mm-hmm. that you did as a child, but you know, how do you, how do you, how do you do that? How do you help somebody who's going through it right now and, yeah. and provide the support that to recognize that, Hey, you don't have to go that route um, or you can avoid that route. Um, mm-hmm. It's, and it's deep, but it's a big conversation. There's not probably a one size fits all answer, but um, well, I mean, know, I for think someone that's listening, you know, what, 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 would, what advice would you give or what, what mentorship could you provide? Yeah, so I, I think it's a lot. So when I first came to Connecticut, I started, you know, working with people who were in high school who were in similar situations to how I grew up, right? I was working at a high school in New Haven, um, and it just so happened. I, I think everything happens for a reason. Yep. I was presenting at a conference. I think I was at, I want to say I was at Columbia University. And I was presenting at a conference, and an assistant principal from a school in New Haven happened to be there, and I was talking about, you know, my move to Connecticut. And so she was like, you're in Connecticut now. It's like, do you think that you would mind coming in and talking to our uh, staff about some of the work that you're doing with, you know, with hip hop and urban youth? And I was like, mm-hmm. okay. And so it just so happened. And then started working with this school. And, you know, I was working with black and Latino males who were on the verge of dropping out and okay. developing in this program. Right. And so, again, I came into their lives. I came into my lives for a reason. Right. Everything happens for a reason. And, you know, we started to connect. We started to kind of create a space through the lens of hip hop culture, but like creating a space where everyone knew that they were seen, that they were heard and that they mattered. Right. That's all it It wasn't any tutoring or anything like that, but it was centering their experiences in that space. And so I I mentored them first. I told them my story. Right. Because they, they want to know they got a BS detector. They want to know, OK, they see you you're black, you're a male, but like, who who are you? We don't we don't know anything about you. And so, you know, they heard my story. Some of them, I took them to a, another conference. It was either at Columbia or NYU. Um, and so, you know, they saw that they they went to Harlem. They saw my neighborhood. They met my father at the time because he had retired. My mother was at work. Okay. So they came around. They met my dad. And then one of the guys we were walking on 125th Street and he was like, yo, hold up. He's like, yo, you're from the projects. And I was like, yeah. He was like, but you're a professor. And I was like, yeah. He was like, yo, that's crazy. And I was like, exactly right. And so your, your, your current situation does not dictate where you're going to end up. Yeah. It, it doesn't have to dictate that. Right. And so 
making those connections with people is, is one thing for me to tell them, but to show them like, this is my neighborhood. If this is where I'm from. Yes, people still know me around here. And I too started off, like some people would say, in a place where I wasn't supposed to make it out. Um, and, and so that's kind of how I worked with those high school students and even, you know, the students who have been fortunate enough to make it to college that I get a chance to engage with. Um, and it's and it's not just students of color. Like I, I remember this one dude, Mike, white, white male student in one of my classes he took and I gave him this 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 assignment because he was a senior. And years later, when I was applying to Connecticut to Quinnipiac, I get an email from this guy. And he was like, you know, Professor, I don't know if you remember me. He's Mike whatever, whatever. And I was planning on doing this for my career. And then when you had us do that knowledge of self assignment, like I'm doing other things. I, I got my master's in education. I've been teaching in Thailand. I've been doing Goodness. all of this stuff. And I'm like, yo, like what? Like, I didn't even think anything of it. And he was like, when we did that assignment and like, you know, the, the course and the reflection and how you talked about these different things, I really took it to heart. And so it was like, wow. Like, so this stuff actually matters. Um, so I just try and use whatever gifts that I've been given for anybody who 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 can can use it, whether it's people of color, whether it's the white students who I have on campus, it, it, it doesn't matter. Um, but a lot of my focus has been on communities of color, specifically those who are living in under resourced areas. Yep. Yep. And you bring up two great points right there. One that assignment in that moment with it was Mike, right? The student. Yeah. Probably to you was it was another assignment. It wasn't this earth shattering like uh, act that you were taking on to have this, you know, very intentional impact on this one person. It was an assignment that was given to everybody. Yet it turned out to be this very impactful experience for that mm -hmm. one student and probably more. But that one student that you heard back from, yep. um, you know, it brings about the, the importance of as as a leader, as somebody that's that's having an impact on other people like it could be significant to you <laughs> or insignificant mm -hmm. to you. It could be an action of, of great significance positive or negative to, to somebody else uh, yeah. and being, being intentional with that. Um, and then also, you know, not, not bringing in race, not bringing in black male to black male or black male to white male or vice versa, but the, the importance of authenticity as a leader, yeah. you, you, you threw that in there right there that the, the, the BS meter talk on that a little bit, you know, for someone who's either in a leadership position or aspiring to lead others, talk a little bit about the importance of authenticity from your experiences, Don. Yeah, I mean, I think the authentic self is important because after a while, like people see through it. Like if, if you're putting on uh, an act, people people see through it. And so, I mean, one of the things when, when I when I came to Quinnipiac and I was meeting and negotiating with the dean at the time coming into the Department of Sociology, I was like, this is who I am. Mm -hmm. Right. I was like, this is who I am. I'm a, 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 a sociologist. I'm an applied sociologist. I do work in the community. I work with people in the community. I don't do research on people in the community. It's I work with and for them, like to yeah. build these collaborative re relationships. And if that's not valued here, then I won't take the job. And it won't be, I won't be offended if you say that I'm not the person here, but this is who I am. Yeah. And you have to accept that if I'm going to come here. And he was like, yes, this is what we want. And, and so I, I'm here, I've been, it'll be 10 years in August. And so even with my staff, like my staff knows who I am. Like, I, I, like I'm vulnerable with them. I share my story. I check in with them like on the professional side, but I'm like, okay, we, you can tell me your professional goals, but I, I need you to tell me about your personal goals, right? Because I need you to develop, not just as a person who works here for the university, but you have to be developing in your life as well. 
what are some certain things that you're, you're dealing with, right? I just brought two staff members, this book, it was called, I think it was called, or then there's three. And it's, it's a book for couples who've just had a kid, right? And what that means. And so I know that they just had children, they're married. And I was like, okay, don't let the kid change everything. So here's a book, yeah. right? It has nothing to do with work, yeah. but I want you to also be successful outside of here, right? And so just caring about people and letting them know who I am. Like I, I, I wear suit jackets, I wear jeans, I love Jordans. I love hip hop. I'll connect with anyone. It doesn't matter where, where you're from. Like I have no problem having difficult conversations. It's just, it's, it's me. Like I'm not putting on any mask anymore, yep. right? It's either you get what you get, but this is, you know, th th that's what it is. And, and I think people appreciate it. No, absolutely, absolutely. And, and again, I, I, I can't speak to it as being a, a black male. Um, I can speak to it as someone who's been in front of other students. Um, both college level and and or and below, um, but you're one hundred percent accurate. If you try to fake the funk, you yep. will you'll you'll be turned off quicker than you can try to fix it. And um, you know anybody in leadership, be you know be who you are. But if you're in a, especially working with young ones, if you don't care about their progress, not just in math class or science yep. class, but as a young adult or or a student probably in, in the wrong, <laughs> in the wrong spot. <laughs> and, and people could tell I me mean, even even with you. Um, I mean, I don't know, I'm sure people have told you this. But like, so, like, even with you, I mean, I assumed you identified as, as a white male, right. And so I, I study race and racial interaction and stuff like that. And so I've been in situations where people I brought in groups of, you know, students of color. And it's like this reluctance or like this, it, it's just an awkward sense, right. And so we get there to empower and working with you, you jump right in, like, I don't care who you, what color you, it doesn't matter like we're here to talk about leadership we're here to value you and the students sense that right there was no yeah. apprehension like in how you approach the group it was like look we're humans we're learning to be leaders we're going to have a great time we're going to learn and so that energy was felt because if that energy wasn't felt it wouldn't even be a place i would be considering going back to and so i think that's important for your end for you to know for me to tell you that like how you came across to me and the rest of us there like look we want to build this is what it's about and so i was like yeah this guy is 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 pretty damn cool all right and so that that's the, the energy that i got that time i appreciate that and it's it's funny that you bring that up because it, before i think i had a, a chance to speak with you on the phone i spoke with damien who was uh one of your the programmers and program organizers and we had a, a blunt open conversation about that he explicitly said this is this is the, the student population that'll be coming and have you you know done this type of pro yep absolutely and we got talking and it, and it you know it, what could have been uncomfortable or awkward it you know like when you make it about human when you make it about um you know, not male, female, or, or, or any sort of gender, not race, creed. It's about, hey, what can we do together to make this a powerful experience and to help everybody be better from it? Yep. Then it's a win across the board. And I appreciate I appreciate you sharing that, Don, for sure. Mm -hmm. um, and, and looking forward to hopefully continuing our work together because, um, you know, that, see, <laughs> as hot as heck as it was to see everybody forge through <laughs> Yeah. through everything we threw their way last summer it's one of those things like all right there's the challenges are going to be different at quinnipiac it maybe it's not going to be you know 99 and humid and buggy and all that yeah. but if they can work through this challenge i'm pretty damn confident they're going to work through anything that's going to be you know thrown on their plate over the course of their four years at qu and, and more importantly beyond that yeah yeah 
Hey, we're on the home stretch right here. Um, uh, again, uh, Don Sawyer from Quinnipiac University, uh, awesome individual doing some tremendous work with uh, college students, communities, and, and far beyond that. Um, just a, a couple quick hitters here to wrap things up because I know we're close to the finish line. Um, what's something right now, Don, that, that inspires you to continue to do what it is that you do, having a positive impact on the people that you're around? Uh, what inspires me? Uh, it's like the, the emails that I get from Mike or one day I was like, oh, does any of this matter? And then I got a letter in the mail from a parent of a of a student who was actually an FYI. Really? Yeah. Saying thank you for, you know, all that you've done and, you know, and, and helping the student. It's like, oh man. And then I got another letter from another parent who, I mean, she wasn't in FYI, but it's like, okay, so those are the things that motivate me. Um, and then like for for the other thing is like, so I, I'm leaving to go to the Dominican Republic tomorrow morning to check in on the project. Like I'm I'm helping I'm building a a, a small community center in this space, um, working with Haitian and Dominican youth through who are coming together through a love of hip hop culture. And so, you know, we're raising funds and building this center. And I don't know if you know the history between Haitians and Dominicans on that on on that island, but it's been tense. Mm -hmm. But we're working with the young people who have a love of hip hop and building bridges. And so you have these Dominican youth and Haitian youth who are in the same places. I mean, their families are not necessarily interacting like this, but they are. That's right? the start like, right there, though. Yep. Right. And so like, that's the thing that motivates me. So I'll be there just for the weekend, checking in on, on the project, like the build that's happening. It's being built by people within the community. Um, and so that that's the stuff that that motivates me. And so it'll have an English class that will also be a studio. On the one side, it'll be a place where women are learning how to do nails and, and hair because the women who don't do construction and can't find work and employment, they often have to go into sex work. And yep. so if we can teach them these other things, we can keep them from going down that route. So we, it's just it's just trying to make an impact in my little sphere of influence. Um, and so that, that's the stuff that motivates me. Love it. Love it. How, how can people find out? How can our listeners find out about um, that project? And um, if people are able to to maybe provide any sort of support that they can? Yeah, um, it's of course, I don't remember the website. It's it's it's, it's a hip. It's called Hip Hop Heels. Um, and it's on our it's on the fundraiser platform. It's fundraiser and they spell it with a Z. Okay. Um, and it is the hip hop heels project in the Dominican Republic on fundraiser. Um, you know, we're raising, like I said, we're raising funds for that, for the center. We're halfway there. We're trying to raise $8,000. We're about 4,000. And so when I go there, I'll be taking pictures and doing videos to let people know so they can see where the money is going to. Cause I'm not one of those people who are going to take yep. the money and you don't know. Yep. So we're yep. there, we're showing you like the people who donate their names are going to be up in the building. Um, and again, it's, it's, it's not like I'm not. It's, it's like a, a small building, but it's going to mean a whole heck of a lot to that to that community. I'll so. make sure I'll make sure I dig up the, the info and I'll get that into the show notes there for anybody listening that's interested in in, in checking it out and maybe contributing if they're able. Um, Appreciate but that. No, no, absolutely. My pleasure. And, and I you know wish you the best of luck and wish you safe travels and can't wait to hear how the trip goes. And, uh, you know, uh, ladies and gents, I appreciate you tuning in to listen to this uh, great gentleman, Dr. Don Sawyer from Quinnipiac University. He leads with Empower. And if you take, you know, there's a ton to take away, but 
try to have a little bit of an impact on the people that are around you. And you'll be surprised at how great of an impact it can be. Don, thank you so much for spending a few minutes. Again, safe travels to you and yours. And uh, looking forward to seeing everybody this summer again. All right. Appreciate it. All right. Take care, Don. Great leadership may look and sound different. However, there are common threads that connect all tremendous leaders. They are passionate about those that they lead. They do that which brings out their best and the best in those around them. And they never take the easy way out because the exceptional will never come from easy.